Welcome to the CSC Podcast. I'm Phil Haas, Director of Marketing and Communications for Classic Stage Company. This is the second part of my interview with director Will Davis about playwright William Inge. In the first part of this interview, we spoke primarily about Inge's Pulitzer Prize-winning play, Picnic. In this portion, we'll discuss Inge's legacy, his novels, and also hear Will's pick for what piece of work we should all be considering a classic. That's all coming up in part two of this episode of the CSC Podcast. CSC has recently launched the Coming Back Stronger campaign to raise funds to secure the long-term success and financial health of the company. The Coming Back Stronger campaign is a place for donors of all levels to show their support for CSC's work and mission and will ensure that CSC can reopen after the COVID-19 shutdown stronger than before. Coming Back Stronger means expanding our artistic programming to reflect all voices. It means welcoming all audiences to a safe space means addressing the immediate financial impact of the shutdown and securing the future. The Coming Back Stronger campaign begins with you. Gifts of $50 or above will be recognized on our virtual donor wall. Find out more about the Coming Back Stronger campaign online at classicstage.org slash comingbackstronger. When we left off, Will Davis and I were discussing his production of Picnic at the American Theatre Company in Chicago in 2017. Now, we'll delve into the aspects of Inge's works that some fear make his plays too antiquated for contemporary audiences. Where do you think, where are all the nonstop Inge revivals then? How come we don't see Picnic and Bus Stop um, popping up every other year? Like, we constantly see new productions of something like, like The Glass Menagerie, like you said. Do you think it's... Is it the nature of his plays? Is it the writing style? Mm-hmm. Is it, you know, what is it that that keeps those plays from being produced as often as we see other works? Because even even if you want to be completely blind and ignore all of the subtext that's there too, the plays also have that kind of classic Americana vibe to them mm-hmm. that you would think, at least I would think, that just your general run-of-the-mill audience member who doesn't really know all of this other stuff going into it that might say, oh, well, that's something I enjoy. I mean, soap operas are popular. The Pulp Fiction is kind of popular. So where where are all these? Why, why, why are they not being done? Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's I think it is, it is weird. Um, and I think there are many reasons. One is the language again, has not aged well. It does not have the poetry of Williams uh, at all. So I think what happens, and this just may be because of where I come from and how I've tried to slowly build my career such as it is, but like what, what isn't happening that could happen is to look at that canon and do some resource mapping Mm. and not judge what that is. Okay, what have we got here? Language that hasn't aged well. What have we got here? Two dimensional men and like three million dimensional women. Okay, 
what have we got here? A, a sort of pulpy, seemingly kind of steamy plot about what? Nothing. Okay, great. What if we got here? You know, what if we got here? So many tiny characters who just pop in and say something that we absolutely cannot afford to cast that size, you know? And instead of adding all of that up and being like, why don't we do a true gem instead? Um, all of those things I just described, that's just material to work with. Yeah. It doesn't have to necessarily be um, an equation that equals a bad play. You know, it, it, yeah. it, it can be something else. Um, and I think, yeah, and I think that, you know, so many people I've talked to have been like, ah, yes, the poor man's Tennessee Williams. You know, huh. first, first of all, what a terrible wow. phrase anywhere. Um, but uh, like, why, if you're poor, should you have not a work of art? I don't understand that. <laughs> um, but, um, but second of all, um, what a delightful, if we just step back for a minute, what a delightful tragedy. If, if we are just to take my um, very pointed agenda uh, for a minute here about like in just writing towards Tennessee, and then in retrospect, have people say, ah, the poor man's Tennessee Williams. What a heartbreaker, you know? Um, but I think the reason, I think the reason his work doesn't get done is um, there's, there's, a, there's um, decisions that have been made about its value. And uh, what I think is so interesting is that everyone wants to reinvent and revive and, you know, scrap for parts and put back together. Um, but there's this sense that, oh, if the wiring is faulty, you know, or if it's built with the wrong materials, I can't possibly. And I think that part of that point of view um, lets us know that there's this intention toward the work that's about conquest. Like, I'm going to own this work, you know, like, I'm going to put my stamp on it, you know, uh, whatever. I, I'm going to rework it so that it's good. And I think part of just like a, for me, just because of who I am, just a, a queer art practice for me is that everything is just right, just as it is. Uh, that the actor who walks in the room is just right, just as they are. The play is just right, just as it is. I am just right, just as I am. And that actually my job as a director and as a choreographer um, is to figure out how to frame exactly what's there, how to, um, I say this in rehearsal a lot, like um, it's my job to help you sing your weird song louder, not to teach you a different song, not to tell you your song is bad. I say weird with tremendous respect um, that I need to, I need you to help. I need to help you sing it louder. So if there are places in this piece that don't quite connect, that don't seem totally right, 
just as a dramaturgically minded person, it's my it's my job to serve that up for you so you can see the disconnect, but and and, and understand why the artist might have struggled right there, you know? Right. I mean, I think this is the same for work that, you know, and the American canon is is based in um, you know, in isms, you know, misogyny and racism are a huge part of where our work originated and continues to to flow from those older sources and also from a puritan set of values about right and wrong and and the idea that like one must leave with a moral you know like that's yeah. baked all the way in and so i guess where i get excited is i think to myself well i'm not going to try and cover that up take that out um or create a production that's basically just me wagging my finger at the play you know but instead yeah. this this material that feels uh deeply racist, deeply anti-woman, you know, I, what I'm going to do instead is frame that out <laughs> with as much attention to detail and rigor as I can and say like, he, here's what I, fi- here's what I find in the heart of the play. I'm, and, th- and then it feels like, okay, let's really see this work. I also want to ask you, because when we spoke, setting up this interview, you told me about Inge's books. Oh, and yes. I just, I want to like briefly talk about that because I think I read more about them and it's very interesting, um, the, 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 the books. So um, what are your thoughts on them? Also, we have, we have to tell people the titles. It's just, oh. it's really, really, it's fascinating and sad. And, and will you tell, would you tell me a tiny bit about, what you read, I'm always, I'm always interested. Uh, sure. So, I mean, what I read was that, you know, that, that these works were, I mean, it's, it's sort of what, what we had talked about too, is that they were dismissed in, in, yeah. in some ways as, as this pulp, pulp novels that, that were kind of like, like, you know, the equivalent of a B movie. And, um, you know, there's, there's that, that sadness to, to that because he was noted for, these great works. I mean, the man won a Pulitzer prize. He won an Academy award, all this stuff. And then yeah. writes these books that are dismissed as, um, as I mean, I don't want to say garbage, but they really yeah. were, they were, they were, they, they were, they were treated as such. Yeah. So that was sad to me. And then also, you know, the, the story of the, of the title of, mm-hmm. is it my son is a wonderful driver? Mm-hmm. Is that the title? Um, the book is called my son is a splendid driver. A splendid driver, yes, and uh, it's just heartbreaking to hear. I mean, do you want do you want to set up that story of where, yeah. that, where that comes from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, right. I, it's really crucial what you just said that Inge was the recipient of a Pulitzer Prize and an Academy Award. Yeah, um, the Pulitzer was for Picnic, and the Academy Award was for Splendor in the Grass. That's right. Uh, and these are like films and movies. Picnic is a film too, and mm-hmm. they're beloved movies there right. when you think about classic cinema people do think of those those works they think of come back little sheba they come mm-hmm. they think of marilyn monroe in um in, in bus stop, stop. Yeah. so i mean it's just it's it's heartbreaking in so many ways to yeah. then see the other work 
forgotten and tossed aside and then to see just those main works too kind of mm. forgotten which and yeah. it's not that much not that much time has passed yes right. it's been an incredible amount of time since the 1950s but also not that much we mm-hmm. we see plenty of plays from that same period that won those same accolades um getting work i mean we're seeing it all all the time and these ones were not yeah, but the plus so, of the books. So my my son is a splendid driver. My son is a splendid driver. Is one. Uh, another is called uh, Good Luck, Mrs. Wyckoff. Yes. And then there is a third unpublished manuscript called The Boy from the Circus. And that one I didn't read about. Yeah, and the information I have or am consciously or purposefully misremembering about that. So again, um, my agenda here is strong. Um, But I believe what I read about the boy from the circus, a boy from the circus, um, was that the manuscript was returned to him as unpublishable uh, the the same week he killed himself. Oh, wow. And he... He killed himself, um, you know, sitting in his car in his closed yeah. garage. Uh, and my son is a splendid driver. Um, I read somewhere um, was one of the nicest things his father ever said to him. Yeah. Um, and so then when I connect that with his suicide choices you know i just it is and i think part of what is fascinating and um you know one of the places i worked on my picnic ideas was at new york theater workshop i was very very lucky when i first moved to new york to have a fellowship there um uh, and what uh, one of the things that we talked about in the the wonderful group feedback formats they do there no, no one is practicing Lerman techniques like New York Theater Workshop is. It's, it's a pure experience, and I highly recommend it. Um, uh, you know, we, we were talking about, someone was asking me, why are you obsessing about this, like, dead, whiny white man? That's really where you're going to spend your time? You know, and I was like, that's a really, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking that in I'm, as a person who um, really, really wants their work to, uh, I want it to, to forward a certain social agenda that I have that is not about whiny dead yeah. white men necessarily. <laughs> um, and I think about, you know, those novels and I think about, um the way um, at the end of his life, he rewrote Picnic. Um, He really did not like the Broadway production of Picnic. Um, He did not like it. It was the film too, right? It was after all of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He didn't like the title Picnic, which he felt was foisted upon him. Uh, But in all of this, there is a person who is so deeply anxious about pleasing other people um, who desperately wants to be loved. Um, we can all, I think, relate to that in the sense that, you know, like someone said to me the, uh, the other day, just, you know, that, that sort of pat phrase, like, you know, if you don't love yourself, you can't love other people. She at the time was 
talking about the fact that I have this very, very sweet rescue dog that when she sees herself in a mirror, she gives her reflection a kiss. It's too much, it's too much. And I was saying this to this woman I know in the dog park only because of her dog. And and she was saying, she was saying, oh, that's so nice. You know, if you don't love yourself, you can't love other people. And I was like, that's right. That's correct. <laughs> but, <laughs> but anyway, so I think you do see there's a desperation in the style of the writing. And that's in the plays also. And a desperation in this, like, I'm rewriting Picnic so it really, truly reflects what I care about. And it, it is, there is a thin, there's a thinness and there's a, there's a terror in the writing that, that makes the, the, that makes them not great, you know? And I guess what I'm saying is that's, what's interesting to me. Yeah. Embracing that is, is, is so, Mm -hmm. it's, it's challenging, but also it can be so rewarding if you're really looking at what is it that's making it, that's, that's a really interesting way of putting it, that the, that that angst is what's mm-hmm. making it unreadable in some ways. Right. That's right. And, you know, I have a copy of My Son is a Splendid Driver. Um, like like all the sort of mysteries of Inge, I still don't know how I ended up with this copy. I've had it for many, many years. Um, it's a discarded library book. And on the inside is a big red stamp that says discard on it. And it just feels oh. so right. And 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 awful and you know i started reading it and i thought well if i wasn't trying to become a scholar in my own tiny way of of inge i would not read this book i would not read this book it's a road trip story you know his his novels have a uh everything's thematically linked you know sex is a problem it's um it's like a disease. You can, yeah. you know, you can um, catch it and then it will just riddle your body with the cancer of desire and ruin. And, and that's, I, that's clear in Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff, too, right? Because it's about a teacher who I think loses her job because she has an affair with a student or something like that. Right. So that's, that's key there, too. That's right. So the monstrousness of desire is a huge huge part of his work, which, you know, I read as the monstrousness of his desire to himself, you know, and mm-hmm. why. The last thing I will ask you is something we're doing for the, the podcast now, is we're asking, we're asking all of our guests about works that they consider a classic or that they think the world should consider a classic that for whatever reason is not considered a classic right now. So what work or works would you add to this list that we're compiling? And people can, you can go on our website and um, each of the podcasts has a reading list with um, the the works that we talk about during the podcast, but also um, these works as well to these new classic uh, pieces. So what would you choose? Oh, I, I know no one can see the like, sort of like cat ate the canary grin on my face right now. <laughs> I can. <laughs> um, but I just, uh, I, oh, you're going to hate this. I, um, uh, there's, there's something in the word classic. There's sort of an exceptionalism to it that I worry about. 
<laughs> well, no, I think that's that's true, and that's what I think that's what we're kind of talking about right now is because that that is exactly it, and I think one of the big things that that we're discussing all of this is that American works in particular are not seen as exceptional because Mm -hmm. classics are Shakespeare classics are Greek classics. And so there's this concept that like nothing new and nothing, nothing not written by William Shakespeare is, is a classic. And that's not, that's not true. So we want to kind of break that mold so that it doesn't have that, that exact sense to it anymore so that it doesn't feel like this stiff thing that everything's put on a pedestal and there's a hierarchy of what's, what's great and what's not, you know, um, John Doyle, our artistic director in particular has talked about what makes something a classic is what's in its soul. What's the base of it? What's the story it's trying to yes. tell and is yes. the story a classic. And it's why, you know, we produced at CSC, you know, premieres of new plays because mm-hmm. what the plays are about is classic because yeah. that is a classic tale. It's a classic experience or something like yeah. that. So, I'm with you a hundred percent and exactly you're feeling with that. I do. I do have an answer for you. Um, I would be surprised if I'm the only person who said this though. Um, uh, I was very fortunate last year uh, to do a production of everybody. um, Brandon Jacob Jenkins play everybody, um, which I'm not the only one, right? Well, so far, list. I mean, you're oh. only the fourth person to do it. So oh, okay, maybe, okay. maybe it'll be more later on. <laughs> okay. But so far, but yes, you're the first person. I, I think that that play answers everything you just mentioned that John has to say about classics. Um, I think part of what's marvelous about it is, um, and this I think is just true about Brandon's writing in general, is that there is a way that the um, the personal... Um, and the sort of epic historical and the political um, get combined there um, that make make the work its title, make it about everybody. And because of the way that work is in relationship to a very particular um uh morality play every man because it's coming from this place it's like oh i read that in college but this idea of like i uh i the author in the present moment i live in um am struggling with these fundamental human issues around death i'm gonna read structurally reach back and pull this very, for us in the Western canon, very ancient Western structure forward. And, I, and I'm and i going to figure out how to use that structure, maybe pull some kind of um, wisdom potentially from that structure to deal with the moment I'm in right now, which is about loss and death and in my reading of that play, one of the main questions you can ask is, what is the meaning of death as opposed to what is the meaning of life? And at the same time that I'm kind of overlaying my current moment with this ancient Western moment, the places where um, 
they don't dovetail those two things, that we heighten that, that where there's sort of a calcification in structure and thinking, um, that we present that to you and where there's a place where those two things actually bend each other and there's a fluidity between them, we highlight that as well. I'm always certain that any play that will withstand time can be done outside my apartment right now on the street with nothing. And that we have to start from that place. I think that's one way I talk about a classic. Is this a play I can do in front of my apartment today? That's then it's a classic, you know, and that we have to start from it's just a less is more aesthetic, which has been a guiding principle for me, along with the Pina Bausch School of Excess, because the question is, can I do this in the street? Yes. Okay. If I do this in the street and we add this, does it um, suffocate the play or does it add to the, does it illuminate and expand the play? You know, you sort of work from there and you either end up with a ceiling of weather balloons or you, or you end up just, you know, in the street with a flashlight. And I think everybody is a prime example of that, that it's, it's a play for, for people, you know, it's a play for everybody. And um, I would highly recommend it as a, a contender for your classics list. Thank you very much. Well, we <laughs> to the list and we'll add that with some of the other plays uh, that we spoke about today. And I thank you so much for joining me. This has been uh, wonderful chatting with you and, and learning more about your work and, and Inge. And it's been just great. So thank you. That's ah, my total pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. For more information on Classic Stage Company, visit us online at classicstage.org. There, you can learn more about this podcast, as well as find the podcast reading lists featuring the works mentioned on this and all past episodes. Once again, I'm Phil Haas, and we'll be back next month with an all-new episode of the CSC Podcast. Take care.